Now for the reading of God's word. This morning from Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 to 17. You can follow along in your Bible or in your bulletin or on the screen as well. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Then the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, quote, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. End quote. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and for your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless his reading. Lord, we pray today. Uh, whew, that's a challenging text, Lord. I pray today that you will help us to understand it as best as we can. Uh, to, in faith, see your plan unfold through uh, parables and through how Jesus teaches us. So, Lord, teach us from your word today. In Christ's name, amen. So this morning, um, we're continuing on in our, our, our new series for Lent called True Spirituality. Uh, so last week, I introduced this series, uh, building a bridge basically between the church and the world on this idea of spirituality, spiritual things. If there's something that most people can agree with today, it's that uh, there is a spiritual realm in the world. Not everybody would agree to that. Some people would say there is no spiritual realm but in increasing fashion, as, as you read uh, modern day literature, most people are open to the fact of there being something out there. And so as Christians and as the church, we, are, we have the audacity and the boldness to put the word true in front of spirituality. Um, and so we investigate that together during this season of Lent. As I prayed just a moment ago, the passage we're looking at today is known as one of the hardest passages in all of scripture. Uh, it's taken from a prophecy in Isaiah, and Jesus brings it out here, talking about how, how some people just don't see or don't hear. Um, and that's in part why Jesus uses parables. This passage in Matthew 13 is a passage essentially about how parables work. And as we're going through these next seven weeks together up until Easter, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus every week. This week is a little bit different because this is, in some sense, a parable about parables, which makes it hard to understand. Because parables in and of themselves are hard to understand. And now Jesus is trying to teach us today how parables work. 
The main point of this, about parables in general and about this text, is as, as one commentary puts it, what you get out of anything depends on what you put into it. So an example, as a kid, I took piano lessons. And as you can tell by my profession and by Javier's profession and by the places where we sit on Sunday mornings, I did not put a whole lot of effort into piano lessons as a kid. And so therefore, if I were to sit down today and lead worship, it would not go well because I didn't put much effort into it, which I'm sad about. I did not put much effort into piano, and so I didn't get much out of it. And that's why for Nora, our six-year-old daughter who just started piano lessons in January, she's brand new into piano lessons. The emphasis we're putting on her, the goal we're giving to her, is not so much to learn the pianos so quickly, but our hope for her is that she loves it, is that she develops a passion for it. Because if she loves it and if she has a passion for it, she'll put something into it and then she'll get something out of it. At least that's our hope. So this series, we looked last week at curiosity. This week, we are looking at the word silence. Silence. On the spiritual value of silence. Javier did a beautiful job introducing the song, Be Still My Soul, by commenting on the noise of the world and the noise of our soul. And Jesus leads us into that place this morning in this text as well. But before I even jump to the text, I wanna share a little story from about a year ago. I was pretty new to the church. It was almost a year ago, I think. And I walked into this church one day and I checked the mail as I do most mornings. And I noticed that there was a piece of mail that was addressed to one of the Catholic churches in town. And it was 292 Jefferson Avenue, not 292 Lafayette Street. So I said, oh, it was an easy mistake that the mailman made. So I'm gonna drive up the street to Jefferson Avenue and take it and drop it off at the Catholic church, easy mistake. So I drove up the road, parked middle of the week. And as you know, many Catholic churches during the middle of the week leave their doors open so people can come in and have quiet time in a sanctuary. And so I walked into the sanctuary, opened the doors, and I I can't really describe well what I felt when I walked in, but I opened the doors to this beautiful church and it felt like I was hit with silence, with stillness, with peace, I would say. It just was so stark. Jefferson Avenue is a pretty busy street You heard cars driving by. But when I opened that door, it felt like I was hit with silence. And I liked it. I said, I need this. And so I dropped off the mail and I sat there for a few minutes because I said, thank you, God, for this gift of quiet, of silence. Our culture, I think, is becoming more aware of the need for silence and stillness and quiet. Words like mindfulness are much more common today. Things like contemplation or meditation are seen as values today. And I wonder if that's the case for you as well. Do you long for silence? Do you long for stillness? And what's, what's your goal whenever you do enter into silence? Are you looking for a, a mental break from the world? 
Are you looking for an experience of rest? Or are you listening for the voice of God even? That's how we enter into today's text this morning, into this realm of silence. So as we begin to turn our hearts to Matthew 13, verses 10 to 15, I think, show us Jesus encouraging us towards silence by understanding that the first point I want to make is that silence prepares us. Silence is a preparation. Silence is not the end, but silence is the beginning in some sense. You won't find the word silence or quiet in this passage, and so you may even wonder why I'm using a text like this, but I think it's, I think it's sprinkled throughout this passage, undergirding it all. The disciples come to Jesus and say, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Speaking, speaking to people who are not followers of him yet. When Jesus would stand out on a street corner, he would often speak in parables, it said. So he's just given them the parable of the sower, one of his more famous passages, which he goes on to explain later in chapter 13. But they say, why do you speak to them in parables? And he, it goes on to say that to you, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom because I'm teaching you because you're with me on a daily basis. He says, but to them, it has not yet been given. And he talks about how I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And he says they're basically living into the prophecy of Isaiah, which is, they're not listening to anything that the Lord offered to them in the past, and they haven't really caught up to it now. Even that I'm here, they still don't seem to get it. And so Jesus speaks to them in parables. Why do you get silent in your life? What, what brings you into a place of prolonged silence yourself? I was reflecting on that question a little bit this week, and I was thinking that, I think all of us can agree that it's probably wise to get silent if we're trying to fall asleep. It's hard to go to sleep if you're talking. I don't think I've ever fallen asleep while talking. Um, I've fallen asleep while people have talked to me. <laughs> Maybe you're doing that right now. I'm going to try to avoid that. But if you're preparing to hear something, it's good to get quiet. So again, I appreciate week after week the respect that you all have to, to give me your ears um, but if you're going into a college lecture or going to hear someone speak, it's good to be quiet so that you can hear them or to hear a song sung to you. Or if you're trying to rest your voice for some reason, if you have a, a throat sickness, it's good to rest your voice. But the point is, is that silence is preparatory. To be silent means to prepare to hear something, to be prepared to receive something. And there's a prerequisite of silence. The power of listening in silence to parables is what Jesus teaches us here in this. Is he says, if you want to learn about me, you need to listen with spiritual ears. You need to listen with ears that are being opened for you. And that begins by silencing yourself to hear what I'm saying to you. And so the challenge for us right at the beginning of this topic is are we really bringing ourselves in silence before God in a true way to open ourselves to what he has to say to us? Just two weeks ago, I preached a sermon on, uh, from the book of James that says, don't be hearers only, but doers. And today, maybe 
maybe the challenge for us is uh, don't be hearers only, but be silent in preparation to hear. So we're almost taking a further step back from where we were with James. Jesus loved to teach in parables, and parables are not examples of direct teaching. They are intentionally indirect in that he doesn't tell you the answers to the question or to the story. He teaches you to discern them in wisdom. The meaning is not evidently given or abundantly clear, but they must be discovered, not simply heard. They're a type of teaching that requires silence on the front end, silence in the middle, silence at the end. It's not a dialogue way of learning. It's not a conversational classroom style. Parables are given as a way of teaching a story, reflecting on it in silence, taking an even deeper step back after the parable is given, and then asking for wisdom to be given on what it means. That requires a lot of silence and a lot of patience. And let's face it, our world today is not particularly silent and not particularly patient. And we wonder maybe why the message of Jesus is not particularly understood. I think that's part of the conviction that parables and that this passage give to us is that maybe we're living into the prophecy of Isaiah as well. Parables have a unique way, I would say a most unique way of exposing our heart, of what our heart desires. If we are open to learn and to hear, then we can learn from parables, Jesus says. If we don't want to learn and hear or are close to it, then we will not learn from them, Jesus says. Ultimately, only in silence do we begin to notice our desires. Am I open to the molding and teaching of Jesus? Am I that desperate for what he wants that I can be silent and quiet before him and during it and afterward to actually reflect on it and be challenged by it? Or am I closed to the wisdom of Jesus? Ultimately, silence can just only be no noise if it's not accompanied with an openness to what you're hearing in silence. Silence can just be empty if it doesn't have a discipline of openness. But silence can be a profound experience of preparation too. By choosing the discipline of silence, we are choosing to be prepared for what comes next. A voice, a nudge, a challenge, an encouragement, even the voice of God. And we have to remove the noise to be open to listening. So that's the first thing to learn about silence. And I think this is maybe where some of us uh, are off from the beginning in our world. Silence is not the goal of spirituality. Silence is the preparation of true spirituality. A quiet place is a wonderful starting place, but it's not, it's not spirituality in and of itself. So what is true spirituality then from silence? And this is point number two. True silence, I would say, is not just preparatory, but it's revelatory, meaning that it reveals. True silence opens you to the revealing of God himself to you. If it has that openness in a place of silence and a patience and a steadfastness, God promises to meet you and reveal himself to you in the stillness of your own soul. 
That's why sermons have to be 20, 25, 30 minutes and not five minutes. Maybe to your chagrin. Verses 15, 16, and 17, there's a turning point in the passage. It's in the middle of the prophecy of Isaiah that it says this. For the people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. With their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart. And the key word here, and turn, and then I would heal them. You see the the literal importance of the word turn there. That's the turning point in the passage here. Up to this point, you're like, why is God seemingly okay with the eyes being closed or the ears being closed or there not be understanding here? He's not okay with it. He says, if you turn, I would heal them. How do you turn in silence? How do you move from silence to revelation? From mere quiet to then seeing. This is the gracious healing of God. In verse 15, he says, I will heal you. In verse 16, he says, blessed are your eyes, blessed are your ears, because you do see. He is the one who opens our ears and opens our eyes and opens our hearts to hear, to see, to understand. It's a gracious blessing and gift of God that is prepared by silence in true openness to actually wanting to hear them. God takes the initiative to your silence, and all he asks us to do is, as it says in other places in Scripture, like Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Or Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Or in one of the one of the best passages in the whole Old Testament. It's Elijah standing on a mountain in 1 Kings chapter 19. And the Lord says to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. The Lord was not in the loud things. Even though Elijah was standing there in silence, in preparation, waiting for God to speak, being obedient to him. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? God was in the whisper. Or as the other one said, in the silence or in the stillness, there the voice of God is. Silence of voice versus the silence of soul. God wants us not just silent in words, but also truly silent in soul, to be open and humble before him. Let me just give you an example, an illustration here from someone you know, Billy Graham. You maybe don't know him personally, but many people know the story of Billy Graham and would find his life to be one of, of great example for people who want to be moved by God and have a life of purpose. 
And there's a famous story of Billy Graham who uh, was in a time of deep doubt in his life. Hard to believe, right? Even Billy Graham can have doubts. I hope that puts you at ease that you can have doubts too. He was doubting the validity of the Bible at one point in his life and saying, I don't know how I can trust that this is really what it is, that this is the word of God, that this is his authoritative scripture. And then came a turning point in his life. Do you know how it came? He went out one night into this forest of the place where he was visiting. I think it was out west somewhere. He went out one night. He walked out into the woods and set his Bible on a tree stump, sat it down, laid it out on this tree stump. And he cried out to God, quote, Oh God, there are many things in this book that I do not understand. Right? Like the prophecy of Isaiah. Hearing they do not hear. They don't understand. There are many things in this book I don't understand. There are many problems for which I have no solution. There could even be contradictions. There are some areas that it doesn't seem like they correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions that people are raising. And then it says he fell to his knees and the Holy Spirit moved in him as he said, he prayed this prayer, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my deepest intellectual questions and doubts. And I'm going to believe this to be your inspired word. And he wrote later in his autobiography that as he stood up, his eyes were stung with tears and he felt the power and presence of God in a way he hadn't felt in months. He said, quote, a major bridge had been crossed and the resulting change did not go unnoticed, as other people wrote, as he went there with great confidence and preached with an authority that he didn't have previously. And so, again, from that illustration is not meant to say we shouldn't deal with the hard questions of Christianity or not dive deeper into those questions. Billy Graham did that as his life went on. But what he chose to do in that moment in silence and in prayer and in faithfulness was to say, God, I'm coming before you in faith. Show yourself to me again. In a sense, doing what Elijah did, saying, speak to me in the low whisper. And God did. And you could say the rest is history. God is the God who personally reveals himself. I've said this before week after week. I can't reveal God to you, nor can you reveal God to somebody else. God reveals himself uniquely to you. As one writer says, Ludwig Wittgenstein, a German, he says, quote, you can't hear God speak to someone else. You can only hear him only if you are addressed. I think that's so true. God speaks uniquely to his people and uniquely to the world, but uniquely to you. John 10, Jesus says that the sheep hear my voice and they know it's my voice because they are my sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. So where does all this lead us? What's the takeaway point for us with the point of silence here? This series leads us to the cross. Literally, that's where Lent leads us for Good Friday, just 30 days or so from now. So what does silence have to do with the cross? 
What does the cross and the season of Lent teach us about true silence? I invite you to look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. I'll just read a section here for you. Matthew 26, verses 36 to 39. Jesus has left the, good, the, uh, the Last Supper. He's gone out to the Garden of Gethsemane. You can see it on the stained glass window back there in the corner uh, after the service, if you'd like. Jesus is coming before God the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that the cross is waiting on the other end of that prayer. And what did Jesus tell his disciples to do? He told them to keep watch. And what did his disciples soon after do? Fall asleep. You can see them in the stained glass window, asleep in the corner. What did Jesus do with the silence of the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus prayed to the Father honestly and openly. I love this. Jesus came to them and he he came to the Father and he says, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prayed honestly and openly to let this cup pass, let the cross pass from him, but then just as quickly willingly gave up his voice willingly silenced himself before God. Again, Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent, including Jesus, the God-man, the one that we learned about in the children's story, who, yes, he's fully God, but yes, he is fully man, meaning that he too is to be silent before God's will. Except Jesus knew that that obedience was what his purpose of life was for. Not my will, but yours be done. As one pastor, Glenn Hoberg, says, Jesus was able to hear a no in prayer and still believe that he was loved. That's what silence brings us into. Even if God says no, even if he doesn't answer the prayer that we prayed, as J.I. Packer says, he will fix the prayer on the way up. So if he says no to you, know that he's ultimately saying yes to his better plan. Jesus then went to before the authorities where he was unjustly convicted, and yet he chose to be silent. He did not open his mouth, according to another prophecy from Isaiah 52 and 53. And then when Jesus was on the cross, as he died, he let out a great shout, and then the world was silent. The curtain tore in two, and therefore heaven was open to humanity. Jesus's open silence brought about God's voice to the whole world. This is the power of prayer. What does silence and the cross have to do with one another? Is that true silence ultimately is prayer. It's a dialogue between you and God. The power of prayer is silence plus the revelation of God showing himself equals prayer. Jesus brings us back to himself By Jesus giving up his voice, he gives us God's resounding voice into our lives. Have you seen that? Jesus quieted his mouth so that the voice of God could be open to you and me today in prayer. And likewise, our open silence before God brings about God's activity in our life today. Jesus did not teach us to preach. Jesus did not teach us how to sing Jesus did not teach us how to run a church. 
Jesus did teach us how to pray, which we prayed earlier, the Lord's Prayer. That is our model, the prayer in Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer. That is to be our rhythm of life, following Jesus as he often did into that solitary place early in the morning to come in silence before God. Jesus invites us to do the same and to pray the Lord's Prayer as a model for our life beginning with acknowledgement of who God is, our Father in heaven, and ending with praise to thine be the glory. Amen. With praise in the middle and petitions before him of our need for him and for his deliverance of us from evil. So what should our response be to silence and revelation and prayer? Pray and obey. Pray and obey. I was reading a book this week. Uh, this, this guy, he was writing a book on prayer. And in one of the chapters, he tells a story of how one day he found himself in the same room as Pastor David Yonggi Cho. Do you might know who that is? He was the founding pastor of what is currently the largest church in the world in Seoul, South Korea. 100,000 members. Just absurd, right? And this guy asked the question to this pastor, this audacious question, what made your church so successful? And Pastor Chow said, pray and obey. What would make our church successful? Pray and obey. What would make your life fruitful or successful or meaningful? Pray and obey. We finish with this illustration for you. I can't leave here without quoting from The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel, right? Simon and Garfunkel wrote the famous song, The Sound of Silence. And apparently, uh, comically, part of the the inspiration for the song was because uh, Simon would go into his bathroom, turn off the lights, trying to find silence for inspiration for a song. And it was in the dark of a quiet bathroom in his house that the power of silence came onto him. And that's part of the inspiration for writing this song, The Sound of Silence. But later, Garfunkel described it this way in 1966, right before a live performance. He summed up the song's meaning as the inability of people to communicate with each other, not particularly intentionally, but especially emotionally. So what you see around you are people unable to love each other. And so he wrote the song, The Sound of Silence. Zephaniah 3.17 is God's response to our inability to love one another. The prophet says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God's response to us is to quiet our souls so that his love for us will be so profoundly communicated to our soul. And so that likewise, we can communicate that to one another. Let me close in prayer. Lord, we come before you asking you to 
silence us, our souls, to quiet us by your love. Because it's only by being quieted by you that we can be open to seeing your activity in our life. To be open to being saved by you. To be rescued from ourselves, from our sin, from our world. So Lord, may you transform our desire for quiet and silence into a profound longing for prayer of communion with you that Jesus has opened to us because of his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.